1154. Brilliant. I'm just going to break for Tim and then hand over to him. Father, thank you for Tim. Thank you for him uh, being the vicar here and leading this church and leading us. And Lord, we uh, just simply anoint him now. Uh, fill him afresh with your spirit and uh, use him as he speaks to us. And Lord, will you give us uh, open ears and open hearts to hear what you want to say to us through him. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Just while you're finding that, page 1154, Joe and I are kind of, my wife and I, uh, are sort of just quietly crowing to ourselves, um, because in all the, all the sort of um, work and the remodelling, we couldn't help noticing that uh, the stained glass window has also been remodelled. Um, and uh, we're crying because we've had 13 years of uh, our son playing football with his mates the other side of that window in the garden and not one broken window in those 13 years. Miracle. Um, and uh, we'll have a little conversation with the builders about, uh, about, about that. I'm, I've no doubt. Here we go. We're in, uh, we're in 1 Peter. Um, and uh, we've been... Um, this is a wrestle for us, maybe, um, because um, there are lots of areas where the letter resonates. Here's someone writing to some Christians about Christian living. Um, uh, but the context is the thing that maybe challenges us because Peter is, is talking about living for God and holding out for him in, in the light of eternity, holding out now. Um, but he's talking about intense suffering, which we recognise the Christians back then suffered. Uh, I'll come on to that in a little while. Uh, and we also recognise, as we seek to apply scripture to our everyday lives, that there are many brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for their faith right now. Uh, we were praying for uh, a young man and his family at the prayer meeting on Tuesday, Presence, and uh, thinking about Christians in North Korea, we could add Pakistan, Syria, Yemen, uh, many parts of the world where um, they're suffering intensely for their Christian faith. And um, so we wrestled with that a little bit, if we're honest, Matt. Thomas helped us with this last week, um, just with this kind of tension. Are we suffering in quite the same way? So there's a sort of wrestle. And it, it could be that we, um, when we come to Scripture and ask God to speak to us through his word, we find it hard to hear him because it doesn't seem to connect. So, so as we read this, um, I want to see if it, some of the things that we read um, strike something of a discordant note. And, and in the discord, I wonder whether we hear God freshly. So here we are, 1 Peter 5, to the elders and to the flock. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, 
Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. I make a general point about our reading scripture, and I want to use this passage as, as maybe an example of how we can um, allow scripture to kind of agitate uh, within us and speak afresh when maybe we're tempted to la di da our way through it. I, we can, we can kind of do that, can't we? When, when life is a little bit comfortable, when we're not quite under pressure, when we're not on the edge of our comfort zone, uh, when our Christianity and our Christian faith is, is kind of chill and, 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 and easy in relative terms, uh, we can kind of la di da our way through much of it. I, I wonder sometimes with the Lord's Prayer, for example, um, we, we, we say that, in general as a, as a church to, to join in with brothers and sisters all around the world um, but you know those those phrases uh, you know forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and kind of it just you know trips off the tongue quite easily doesn't it we think oh what have i just said there for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory oh those are those are big things we've just declared as we kind of Nursery rhymed our way through it. Amen. Or the creed. I sometimes so we've fallen out of practice with reciting the creed. Uh, most of us are recited at the 8.30. Um, but uh, at the other services. And, uh, and there are some um, incredible things that we, towards the end, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We, we finish the recital of the creed. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. These Christians here, Peter's writing to, held out for that. Because they faced death as a reality. So they needed to believe in the resurrection of the body of a hope and the life everlasting. Those were big, big things. But we kind of, we kind of, I wonder, do we kind of slightly lardy dart our way? through those. And so it, it sort of washes over us. We come slightly anaesthetized to the text. Here is um, an, an liturgy. Here in this text, there are, I think in this little passage, as Peter kind of continues his theme, hold firm, stand fast. Uh, yes, there is hard time, there's suffering, maybe even to those guys there, to death for your faith in Jesus Christ. But there is an eternal reward. Uh, and those guys drank in these themes in a way that we maybe um, just lardy-dar our way through them. I mean, there are two metaphors that Paul uses here and he kind of links them with an injunction to be humble. 
humility or, or be humble is mentioned three times in this passage. And there are two um, kind of discordant themes I want to suggest. The first is around lead pastors or elders. The, the Greek word is presbytos, from which we get presbyter, a kind of leader. The Anglican Church understands that as the, the kind of vicar, if you like, or the priest. Uh, and these chief pastors are referred to as shepherds. And the second discordant thing, I'll come back to that because I can see that hasn't really shocked you. The second, uh, the second kind of discordant note is our lead protagonist. We've got a lead pastor, is described as a shepherd, and our lead protagonist, the devil, is described as a roaring lion. Uh, I'll come back to that one. And they're held together, as I say, by this idea of humility. So let's start with just, I'm going to look at shepherds and look at the devil as a lion. Um, that's quite shocking that pastors are described as shepherds. Um, but you see, we've become la-di-da to it. Maybe we think of um, the nativity, the kind of um, carols around the crib. This place is awash with parents and toddlers. And we have a kind of um, all the sort of dressing up stuff there. And they come with their tea towel and their headband. And they plonk it on and wrap it around. And then there's loads of cotton wool and a little sort of sheet mask. And uh, sweet little families, they toddle up to the crib, shepherds and, and little sheep. And we say, oh, it's lovely, shepherds. But shepherds, you may be aware, along with women in the first century, were the only two people group who were excluded the vote. And uh, the reason why we've, we've come done quite a lot of thinking about uh, women in the Bible, we're going to do some more thinking on Wednesday night, I mean, women. Uh, about uh, uh, the, the theology of womanhood. But the reason why shepherds were excluded of the boat is because they were kind of excluded from city and town life. They, they lived with the sheep on the hillsides and in the outskirts, not in the towns and villages. Uh, and so because they had a responsibility to the sheep and kind of lived with them, um, they, they, they kind of didn't really belong in town. They didn't have like a, a house or a home as such. So they, they tended to scavenge. I mean, they, rather like the sheep from time to time, got tired or hungry. Uh, and because they couldn't enter into so easily into some normal bartering life, um, every now and then they'd, they'd kind of bring the flock nearer to villages or towns and then pop in to just see what they could find for themselves. They were kind of the ruffians and the scallywags and the thieves. And uh, as such, sort of society within the city walls and within the towns and villages shunned them, uh, didn't trust them. They were, they were the kind of ne'er-do-wells and the scruffs of, uh, of their day. And as a result, they were kind of recognisably ostracised. They were shunned. They were outsiders, so they weren't entitled to the vote. And here is, here is Peter describing the leaders of the Christian community. We, we might... I might like to assume that the leaders of the Christian community had some kind of noblesse and standing, uh, an aura of respect around them. And here they are being described as chief pastors and leaders, as, as shepherds, outcasts, ne'er-do-wells, not to be trusted, thieves probably, or worse. Hmm. Here's the challenge for us. Peter seems 
to happily assume for himself and his fellow elders this role of outcast, of, of mistrusted, of uh, excluded. And he seems to embrace that. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings and also share in their glory to be revealed, be ye shepherds. Do you note how he refers to Jesus in verse 4? The chief shepherd. He refers to our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ as an outcast, an excluded one, a ne'er-do-well, a ruffian. Ah, interesting. Here's the challenge. As we, as we listen to this note sung for us and it becomes discordant, in fact it ought really to be shocking us, to what extent am I prepared to assume that kind of identity? To be, to be willing to be in the current culture mistrusted, uh, excluded? Will I, to what extent will I willingly take on that image, that title, that metaphor? Because that's what Peter's doing and encouraging other Christians to do. That's how he refers to Jesus himself. Hmm. We think of Jesus as the ultimate outsider who, in taking our place so that we could be welcomed in by God. And that's where the humility works. As uh, Peter says, humble yourselves, verse 6, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And that image of shepherd has endured. The, the culture at the time would have wanted to kind of wipe them out, kind of wish they weren't really there. They're, they're kind of a, a problem. They're an issue. We would rather they went away. But that theme has endured throughout Christian history. One of our favourite hymns around the world is, The Lord is my shepherd. Again, we make that association with, with Jesus. The outcast one is actually the one we worship, we, we, we have at the centre of our fellowship. Are we willing to risk becoming outcasts in contemporary culture so that God may exalt us forever in an enduring sense? Humble yourselves to be exalted by him. And you say, well, yeah, hang on a second, Tim. Um, this, this thing of shepherds, isn't that, isn't that referring, Peter, here to the elders? Um, in other words, the leaders. Isn't this really just a sermon for, for kind of Lydia and I in Church of England terms? Um, and you could argue that. <laughs> but I kind of want to extend it a little bit. Because um, it, it's interesting, the image of shepherd as opposed to leader. In fact, leader and leadership is mentioned very rarely in the New Testament. It's not really an idea or an image that Scripture is familiar with, but something like shepherd is. And I, I wonder whether that actually doesn't let so many of you off the hook. <laughs> I wonder whether, to the extent I find myself wondering, how many of us here are, are shepherds to the flock? looking out for the flock, caring for the flock. <coughs> I've just come back from a, um, a weekend, the hot-footed it, which is why I'm, I'm in Mufti today. I never had a chance to, to change. But um, I was uh, at a retreat centre in Woking, uh, doing some work for CPAS, the Church Pastoral Aid Society. 
and uh, they do a lot of work in, in sort of around training uh, leaders. James Lawrence is one of their staff members who runs the Arrow course. Some of you may be familiar with that. Um, they do leadership development, and one of the things they do is to run uh, weekends for people who are exploring the possibility of, of um, the ordained life, uh, exploring the possibility of being ordained to the Church of England. And uh, because I was a DDO back in the day, I, uh, I sort of help out on those weekends, and that's what I've been involved in today. So we had 24 people uh, drawn from all over kind of the south of England um, who were prepared to give up a weekend to explore whether God might be calling them into, into the church. And one of the things I do is, I, so we lead some sessions and I have sort of one-on-ones as well with uh, people who, who would like that. And I find myself sort of asking this question, can I imagine my sitting as a, a member of the congregation in a church that you would be leading in, let's say, six years' time, if you allow for the sort of discernment process and training and accuracy. Can I imagine myself uh, sitting happily? Would I invite a friend to a church, for example, that you might be running in, in six years' time? And it's a, it's a I mean, you can't, I don't want to make too much of a judgment. It's a kind of snapshot thing. It's a kind of gut thing, really. Can I be honest? With... With a number of those dear men and women who are loved by God and gifted and talented in many ways, but the answer is, I, I can't really. Uh, and, and the weekend is as much to sort of help them maybe discern, perhaps God is calling them to serve him and honour him in, in other ways, but maybe the particular kind of call and demands of, of ordained life, possibly not for you or you or you. And we kind of try and journey with them to, to, to help them to make the best decision that they can in the discernment process. But here's the thing. Here's, here's what I find as I, as I think about the privilege I have of, of shepherding under the great shepherd this flock here. Is I could happily imagine <laughs> sitting in a, a church that is led by so many of you guys. We, we are so spoiled for choice here, I feel. I, I look around at the, the leadership qualities and the shepherding qualities of uh, so many of you. Mark, it was, um, he's, I'm so glad he was very kind, because I'm probably aware of the time, that he, when he sort of started to list all the things that Isaac Vicar can't do, I'm so glad he sort of stopped, because believe me, he could have carried on. <laughs> uh, uh, so many things. But I kind of, I don't have to worry about that too much because that's the wonderful thing about the PCC is that there are unbelievably gifted, talented, experienced people on the PCC. But not just the PCC. Uh, I think of so many of the um, courses and events and ministries that we run. I can think of life groups where every single member of the life group is actually a leader. And if you were in any other church, including some of the churches that probably these people have come from, which is why they stand out. Because they're probably the leaders in their church. But if you guys were there, you'd be leading those churches. But I promise you, this isn't, it's not just flattery. I've, I've been around, the thing is, I go, and I'm married, so I go around some other churches. I kind of see what churches are like. And I, I kind of get a feel for who's there and what's there. And they're wonderful, wonderful people. God loves them all. They're faithful in their witness and in their service. But in terms of being quality shepherds, so many of us here. And, and here's the sort of irony, and here's where, as a, just from this passage, a kind of local and contemporary application. Um, we, 
um, when I say we, I, I kind of mean, I suppose, the staff team or alongside the PCC, we help to try and um, yeah, keep things moving along in the church under God and his direction. We, we're wrestling with the fact that there are a number of people who come in and join us and they want to join in and plug in. And one of the ways in which we encourage you to, to get involved and get connected is through a midweek life group. And on the one hand, I think we, we've got loads of shepherds who would be brilliant pastors of a flock. Um, but we're struggling to find people who are willing to do that. Uh, we're, we're easing up some venues, um, uh, and we've got loads of people who would love to be part of a group. But I'm, we are wrestling to find the shepherds. And I, Maybe it's because we've, we refer to life group leaders, and maybe it's that leadership thing, or well, I haven't been on enough leadership courses, or I haven't got enough leadership experience, or I haven't read manuals, or uh, downloaded this, or what if we, what if we, we'll probably keep the term life group leader, but what if we understood, <laughs> well, I'm not going to change the whole thing, the website and all the printing and that, but what if we thought of it as a shepherd? Because, you see, shepherds aren't thinking, oh, I need to go on a shepherding course, or I need to read the shepherding manual. Shepherds are just thinking, how are the flock? Where's the good grass? Where are, where are the potential dangers? And, and frankly, so many of you, I don't want to sort of eyeball too many of you, but so many of you, you could so easily do that, maybe in partnership with one or two other shepherds. We could have a team of shepherds. Um, because we've got the kind of pasture places, and we've got plenty of sheep, and sheep coming in, filling in forms, signing up online, saying, please come and be part of a group. We've got quite a backlog, and we're trying to find a way in which they can be shepherded. So I, I want to put that out there to, to those of you, some of whom are, are in groups already. Is it, is it time maybe just to, to risk leaving the safety of that particular flock in order for you to, to shepherd others? As we humble ourselves, take on that kind of role. I'm not saying that we're any good. It, it's, um, humility is, is not thinking less of ourselves necessarily. It's just it's thinking more of others. That's the definition. It's not about debasing ourselves. It's about saying, no, this is who I am in Christ. These are the gifts and abilities I have. I'm not going to think any less of myself, but I, humility is, is practicing thinking more of others. Is there, is there that challenge for some of us as shepherds? Not, not to become a great shepherd, but just to look after the flock, to meet with them on a regular basis, ask how they are, love them and pray for them as they love and pray for us, so that our church can grow and flourish for the sake of the community and the kingdom. So shepherd, that's the first kind of discordant note. Um, and here's the second. As Peter describes our chief protagonist, the enemy, in, um, in verse 8, let's read the whole thing. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. It, it, here's, here's the weird one, okay? Um, your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion. Wouldn't a roaring lion be pretty obvious? Like, you know how we kind of think, oh, the, the devil's kind of just, he's hard in spots. He kind of sneaks up and catches us out. It's, you know, it's after we've, it's after we've kind of uh, fallen for the temptation and fallen into sin. We go, ah, oh, the devil. It's kind of retrospective. How come I didn't see him coming? If he roars, surely if he roars, he makes himself palpably obvious. And I, it's easy to resist a roaring lion. You're walking down the street and there's a couple of roaring lions coming down the other. You kind of, oh, I think I'll go in another direction. We kind of take out, you know, a roaring lion. How, how is the enemy able to have so much influence? What does Peter mean here? I don't get it. It doesn't kind of make sense. So I think what Peter's saying to his audience is, um, actually the enemy is, is so obvious, he, he is like a roaring, he's, he's all around. Maybe his roaring is stirring up the uh, Roman authorities so that they're coming and knocking on the door in the small hours of the night and casting you off to prison or to the Colosseum or worse. Maybe it's actually a direct allusion to the fact that many of these Christians met their fate and their martyrdom by being fed to the lions, hungry lions, deliberately kept hungry, so that when they're released into the amphitheatre with a whole load of uh, pathetic Christians, the, hungry, the lions are just roaring with delight at the fact that here is supper. And that's how many Christians we know met their end. So perhaps it's a direct allusion to the suffering. But that doesn't kind of sit with us, does it? It's kind of not our experience of the enemy. He's not so obvious. He's not so unsubtle in that sense. Is it? And he's no less dangerous, I think, for that in our 21st century experience. I think we probably need to refer to this image of a lion um, with reference to a David Attenborough uh, sort of magisterial piece on a Sunday evening. When you kind of often see the lions, they kind of, I love that watching their shoulder blades. You know when they, they're kind of, they're crawling and they kind of crawl down underneath the grass, sort of herd of wildebeest just over there. And you know how they sort of, they crawl down uh, and their shoulders sort of go like this, you know, because they're kind of just moving really discreetly, really quietly, they're kind of still. And then they move a little bit more and there is, they're really, they're alert, they're really alert. To, and they're watching that, they're watching that herd. And, and it's not the herd, it's the individual. It's the one wildebeest that we can pick off. There's no point one or two lions taking on a whole herd. They'll, they'll just run and scatter and we won't get anything. But if there's one we can pick off, he's subtle, he's quiet, but he's kind of around. He's not roaring in that sense, but he's no less dangerous. He's no less of a threat. In fact, precisely because he's so quiet, so subtle, that's where the danger is. That's why I think Peter says, be alert and of sober mind, stay awake. There's the enemy around, just offering little temptation here and there. And if we collude with the kind of, uh, the kind of style of, the, of, the, of the, 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 the zeitgeist of the culture, to kind of chill out, relax, you know, kind of, we don't have to be too disciplined. We don't have to be too self-controlled. Lay your hair down, relax, don't worry. Make a few mistakes here and there. Drink a little bit too much every now and then. Say a few things we regret. Do a few things we regret because we've not quite been of sober mind. Doesn't matter. And the enemy, he's sneaking up on us. 
Because he's trying to convince us that our, our decisions in the here and now have no bearing on eternity. And they do. They do. We're missing out on opportunities to grow Christian character now. As we look to encourage the, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, of self-control. It grows character in us if every now and then we say no. Or if there's an opportunity to serve, to shepherd, and we say yes. We resist the devil. We stand firm. We don't collude. And Christ grows in us. James has the same uh, metaphor about uh, the devil resist him, he says, or the same command about the devil resist him, and he will flee from you. We have authority in Christ when we stand firm, resist the enemy, and he flees, he goes. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm about to finish. <laughs> With this, as often in scripture, there's a command and a promise. The, the command comes first and then, and then the promise to encourage us, to inspire us. And there's the command, be alert, sober-minded, resist the enemy. Stand firm. That, that's maybe where, and Matt was kind of alluding to this last week, that's maybe where the, 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 the suffering comes for us in the 21st century as we lose a little bit of our name or reputation by standing for Christ against cultural flows and pressures. Uh, that's perhaps where the suffering is for us in the 21st century, to be the only one in the office or in the house who will stand up for this or that value, or for this or that principle, out of allegiance and obedience and loyalty to Christ. We'll risk losing our name, risk becoming, as it were, in the first century sense, a shepherd, uh, odd, out, not part of us, not in the in crowd, not in that... that uh, a fear of being out, FOMO, a fear of missing out, it's kind of big for us. So there's the suffering, maybe, a very subtle sense. Oh, if, we, if we obey this command to be alert and sober-minded, to stand firm, to resist, then here's the promise in verse 10 that uh, undergirds the command. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. That's what's happening in, as I referred to a few weeks ago, the count to ten. When we know that that great shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd, will restore us, will uh, make us strong, will make us steadfast for all eternity, in the here and now, the 10 second count. Will we be prepared to take on an element of suffering? Will we be prepared to resist the enemy? To be sober-minded and self-controlled and alert in order that God can do his eternal work in us now? So some discordant notes in this passage here, which we could be tempted to, to la-di-da and kind of put it to one side, don't really know what that's all about, it's just the Bible. <laughs> and maybe God is wanting to speak to us acutely and distinctly as we take on this unpopular, shunned mantle to be the people of God, shepherds for one another, 
And as we pay attention to the subtleties of the enemy, this lion, in order that God can enable us to stand firm. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> wow. It's when heaven and earth seem to <laughs> stand in you. <laughs> Why don't we stand together?